Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here with Ben Standig from The Athletic. We are coming to you live on tape delay after Georgetown's 80-71 loss to the number 11 West Virginia Mountaineers. The Hoyas hung in tough after dropping an unexpected game to Navy during the week. Javon Blair had 19 points to lead the Hoyas and all scores. Jamarco Pickett had 11 and Chudy Bile had 10. Uh, West Virginia's best player coming into the game, Derek Culver, who is averaging a double-double, was limited to just 18 minutes, but he made the most of his time in the second half, coming up with 14 points and 9 rebounds. That was 11 points and 9 rebounds after the break. So he basically did it all after the break. Uh, Miles McBride, who's now learning how to play point for the Mountaineers and Bob Huggins, led all of their scores with 17. And West Virginia really did their damage from the foul line and even bigger was points off of turnovers, 21 to 4. Ben, I know that we're not always the most optimistic duo, but I think most Hoya fans might have taken this result. Everyone seemed to be hit pretty hard after the loss to Navy. So to hang around with number 11, West Virginia, for basically 35 of the 40-minute game, there's no moral victories, but it probably wasn't as bad as most people thought it might have been. Is that is that positive enough? Um, that's reasonably positive. Wait, can we just state for the record my presence here? So if I say something stupid, people understand what's going on here. Um, I'll say it, but do, 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 do we mind stating this for the record? Ben is going to be – we're using his basketball brain. He didn't watch a whole lot of the game. Is that what you're trying to get to? Yeah, ba- basically, I, as I said <laughs> to you, I, I'm I'm being your Andy Richter – I'm being Andy Richter to your Conan O'Brien. I'm just going to sort of sit here, let you go, go one-on-one. And maybe I'll chip in with something, but yes, I was a, uh, it's a football Sunday. I was watching other things in part because I was not assuming this would be a very exciting game. I, I did check in a few different times and, you know, at various points, Georgetown had a lead. Um, I, I, I caught it when they, there was a one play where they, um, where the West Virginia kid um, got himself open for a three and then Harris drove into traffic, turned the ball over and they came back down to score again, and it just based on my somewhat ob- observations, it felt like that was a, a bit of a, a bit of a turning point to some degree. But uh, yes, I, I don't have a ton to say specifically, but we can. I'll chip in with some broad thoughts and random humor, hopefully. You know, I'm going to give you the stats and how long you talk. You're just saying you don't have a ton to say. I, I think I think Uber Conference comes up with a very detailed minute by minute blow of this uh, recording, and my guess is you'll find something to say. But anyway, Georgetown, like I said, after the Navy loss, after watching Navy's guards kind of just have their way with the Hoyas, um, this was, you know, definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, West Virginia during the week played uh, top ranked Gonzaga right to the right to the final end. So that was that was West Virginia's only loss coming into this. So I think that there are some bright spots to go off of. Um, Particularly, you know, you, you know, Javon Blair, you're basically, he's showing up every game. He's scoring 20 points. He was a little better from three tonight. Coming into the game, he had been, I want to say he was four for four for 19 in the two games prior today. He was five for 12. Um, you know, the Hoyas, the Hoyas have to find a way to 
not turn the ball over. This isn't a particularly great offensive team. So the possessions that go the other way, it's going to be, it's going to be a big, big, big problem. Um, And not this game related, but right when I called you to come on and talk about the Hoyas next week's game against Connecticut is looking like it's in danger. They're set to host UConn in UConn's return to the big East next Sunday. Jeff Goodman from stadium just put out a tweet that uh, the Huskies are pausing basketball activities, Georgetown, you know, Maryland's had a bunch of games canceled. Um, You know, everyone's kind of had games canceled. Uh, You know, West Virginia kind of picked up some games when that wasn't working out. The Hoyas have been pretty good, you know, knock on wood, which is something Patrick or not. Yeah. Something Patrick Ewing likes to do a lot that the Hoyas get to play next Sunday, but that looks a little bit in danger. Um, Your thoughts on that, Ben, since that's not game related. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, you know, having, you know, covering the NFL and, and watching how that's gone on as we see more and more, you know, teams have to deal with, you know, players um, testing positive and, and how that's had, they've had to re-change, change the schedule around. And we see college football, this is happening, you know, with regularity and, and even just early on in college basketball. I mean, this is going to happen. I mean, I think Maryland's already had like three games, I want to say, uh, delayed or postponed or canceled or something um, because of, because of, uh, COVID-19. So, you know, it's going to happen. I mean, we'll see if, if this does happen for Georgetown if Connecticut, in fact, is, you know, uh, unable to go next week. But yeah, it's going to be, I mean, you know, one of the reasons why it was one thing that it, it's weird. I feel like people got like false hope with the, with like with the NBA and the NHL bubble. Absolutely. Bubble. Absolutely. Like they, they, they were isolated circumstances, not 351 division one teams all over the country living in different parts of the you know, of, of of the country with different regulations, you, you know, different, you know, everybody's not, you know, look, I mean, you know, I, what, you know, I, I may be responsible, but maybe in terms of this stuff, but maybe I'm not as responsible as other people, or maybe I'm, you know, there's other people who are less responsible than me or whatever it may be. I mean, that's so, yeah, it's, I, we'll, we'll see. I would be stunned if whatever ske- games Georgetown has on their schedule, if they play them all straight through, whether that's Connecticut or not, I don't know, but I would be stunned if, you know, that actually happens for any team. Yeah, they've been they've been pretty lucky, and like I said, it hasn't been canceled yet. But it's just something that's you know kind of grabs your attention. Speaking of speaking of grabbing my attention, you said you didn't watch a lot of the game, but and I was watching NFL before before the game. When you flip it to FS1, and the game is about to tip, and there's a team wearing gray, don't you sort of assume that's Georgetown? Uh, I was confused when I turned the game on at first, yeah. and I was just like, "Wait, <laughs> which team? Wait, what's going on here?" And I recognize, I, I recognize Blair or whoever it was, and I was like, "Wait, what? What happened, guys? That was, that was certainly uh, confusing." Uh, however, that, however that came to be, but like, I just feel like in all sports these days, I, I can never go any more off jerseys. It's like I, I mean, other than like Penn State, I feel like everybody has like twelve alternate jerseys, and I don't know what's happening anymore. And you know, this is sign number 836 and I'm now old but like I can't I don't I have no idea what's happening with with jerseys anymore yeah I just feel like not a lot of teams wear gray you know and look I always talk about you know Georgetown's alternate the title blue which I love and they wear that at home sometimes but I don't think it's ever been I mean Xavier might have might have worn gray at at Georgetown before but I struggled literally and I watched all game I struggled all game that Georgetown was not wearing gray um, I also struggled with the fact that, okay, 
you know, we all expect Georgetown. This is a rebuilding year. This is a struggle year. And I thought one of the bright spots in a game that you did watch when they played UMBC was, you know, Kobe Clark had 10 rebounds in 12 minutes. And then let's look real quick. Um, tonight, tonight, Kobe Clark did not play. I want to say in game two against Navy, Kobe Clark played seven minutes. Um, Jamari Sibley, their top ranked recruit from Oak Hill still has not played. Um, I know obviously we're not in practice. We don't know what's going on. Uh, Chudy Bile did not play in that first game. So maybe that's where Kobe Clark's minutes are going. But I think one of the biggest positives out of the season is going to be for Georgetown and for Georgetown fans is looking at the freshmen and what do they accomplish? What, what can they dream about with next year's class? And I would say big picture, it's only three games, but the fact that Sibley hasn't played at all and Clark's played about uh, 19 minutes, I think that's, I think that's probably surprising. And I would say it's probably not the best sign. Would you agree or disagree? So I would agree, but it's also hard to know. Like one right. of the things, one of the things with Ewing is, and this is, you know, we're still, you know, however long we're not with, we're, what was it, year four? Um, you know, it's still a little hard to quite figure out exactly what is going on with him. Like he doesn't, how do I say this? Like there are coaches who coach for the minute, and then there are coaches who do, who figure out this is what we're going to do. And we're not going to alter it too much game to game. You know, we're just going to do what we do. Now, I think that the last part is more of the traditional approach. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how sports works in some level anyway. You can't alternate everything you do game in and game out, especially non-conference stuff for the opponent, because, you know, at some point you have to identify, identify what you do. Um, and it doesn't, I don't, I don't, I don't quite know if I know if Ewing does that. And it certainly, like you said, I don't, I mean, I have no idea what's going on with, with uh, Sibley. Apparently you, you, you told me the other day, it's not an injury. He's just not using him. Right. And, you know, from a big picture perspective, I have no idea what this means. I'm not going to speculate. I have zero idea. I have no idea. But what could it possibly mean if this is your best freshman? You, you mentioned, I think you just said it now, but you said it to me before about the Oak Hill aspect of it. Like you're going to want to get guys from there again. Like, what could this kid be doing that he's not playing? Because from a bigger picture perspective, I mean, if, unless your goal is to, you know, I'm only focused on this next game, and I don't think this kid where he is this minute is one of my best eight players. But that to me seems so ridiculously short-sighted. Again, I don't know what's going on, but like that would be crazy to me because the goal has got to be, like you said, how do we get these freshmen to to play, to develop, to learn? You got to get them on the court and go from there. So I, I don't have a clue what's going on with that. That would seem to be super weird that this kid hasn't been playing. If you're telling me it's not an injury. And again, I could be 20 other things, uh, but I, that, 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 that seems weird to me, but that seems like sort of in line with how I kind of view Ewing sometimes. It's like, I don't quite get like, does he like, you know, coaches in general that that play the, you know, that, that focus too short term versus what's really going on long term to me. I think it's, it often is, it doesn't ring true with me. I'll just say that. Yeah. The Sibley thing is a little, it's, it's definitely weird. And there could be some, you know, Georgetown obviously keeps things pretty close. So 
there's something going on there. The Clark thing might even be weirder because he showed off pretty well in limited minutes against UMBC. Uh, one of the questions I asked Ewing after that game was, you know, 10 rebounds in 12 minutes, you know, is this going to be hard to keep him on the bench? And he was like, you know, absolutely. Like his intensity is something we need. You know, there's been, you know, there's, you know, that the word intensity has been thrown out a lot just because, you know, there's no fans there. Like they kind of have to get themselves going. And so for his minutes to take a complete step back, I think is even more surprising because we've actually seen him play like Sibley, who knows he could have like a, who was the number one pick from uh, Washington that ended up not, not being able to shoot the kid from uh, DeMatha? Mark Helfold. Yeah. Like there could be, you know, again, we have no idea, but like there could be something that they need to work on with him. And it's like, okay, we'll see it when we see it. And that's what Ewing said in his, in his, you know, pregame press conference on Friday, but we've seen Kobe Clark. It's clear that there's a spot for him. So it's a little surprising. He must, like I said, the only difference was um, the grad transfer from Northwestern State, Judy Bile, did not play in that first game. And since then, he has played. And today, he played pretty well. Um, he's definitely someone that's not shy to get his shot off. He ended up with 10 shots in 18 minutes. It's a pretty, pretty uh, confident, aggressive clip from him. Um, something that I think you will appreciate is that you were the last time Georgetown hosted West Virginia at McDonough was 2014 and it was the NIT. It was two years after West Virginia had left the conference. And at that point, West Virginia and Cincinnati had kind of, they'd kind of gotten to a point where that just seemed to be real struggles for the Hoyas uh, based on style of play. And after that game, Bob Huggins, we went up into one of those classrooms in McDonough and he talked for 20 minutes and he was sort of, I feel like he would have just kept going forever. He was acting like, you know, he had just put his dog down, like he was really down about life and everything. So he came in today and he said, you know, if we go back a few years, when we were in the Big East, any road win in the Big East was great. So to come in here to a Big East school and get a road win, that was great. Particularly since the last time we were here, it seemed like we lost by 100. And they only lost by 12. Uh, you know, DSR had a great game. Starks had a great game. But if you remember the way that he spoke post game. He looked like a man that felt like he lost by a hundred, right? Wait, say that last part again. He looked like what? Like in that in that in that last post game that we had with him, they didn't lose by a hundred. They lost by twelve. But he he spoke like like a man that just saw his team lose by a hundred. So it's I like the fact that like that 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 is his memory because it's definitely mine. <laughs> right, right. I mean, one one thing that always struck me about that that particular game. And, and, and sort of just seeing how these two programs have gone since. Um, obviously, you know, Georgetown made a coaching change, and, and West Virginia has not. But West Virginia has had some pretty good success. And they really, you know, Bob Huggins looked at what he had and really revamped everything right after that, I believe. You know, they really were kind of the sort of the old classic, you know, stodgy, half-court, you know, beat-you-up kind of team that they were in the Big East. And then they changed it to more of this up-tempo group um, going going forward for the most part. And – you know, I, I just always think that's just so impressive that, you know, a coach isn't stuck on any system or whatever. He looks at the talent he has and, and tries to make moves accordingly. Obviously, Bob Huggins is one of the best co- coaches in college basketball history. I mean, so I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not comparing him to, uh, you know, to any to Patrick Ewing. I'm just saying, but just it's impressive to see 
what what they've done um and you know obviously they're they're you know highly ranked again this year and it's not like west virginia is getting five-star recruits or anything he you know the, the, you know we, we i know in these parts you know we complain or people complain about you know georgetown not getting certain top guys well neither is west virginia for the most part i would imagine and yet you know you have a system you have a, have a feel for what works for you and and what each guy can bring and and you kind of uh kind of go from there um let, let, let me contribute this way to the game and i'll be the i'll set you up with this do so it it's three, it's three what is it, three games um three games in obviously it's still a, a lifetime to go and we just talked about how like some guys are not even playing much but if i said to you right now the big you know the, the first biggies game is on is on tap um the last five minutes of each half you have to put, you know, obviously everything is relative to the opponent in the game, but like you, you got to put your best five on the court. Do you know what that is now? I think we probably could have guessed three before from the start with Pickett, Blair, and Wahab, but then maybe not. So, do you have a do you have a feel for based on what we've seen who the five would be for you? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we don't know enough about Clark or Sully, which I think um, going into the season that was kind of like the X factor, right? And I think their starting five is the best five they have. Um, one thing that I will say about that is Jalen Harris has definitely been as advertised. He's the point guard transfer that was at New Mexico, most recently at Arkansas. He's really, really fast. He had eight assists today. He did have four turnovers. Um, I feel like at times he plays a little too fast for the team. And I think some of those turnovers are going to go down as uh, players get used to him or he gets used to players. I think some of the turnovers that he had were off of passes that were a little bit too fast or too quick for uh, Wahab or uh, Timothy Ego Efe. Um, and speaking of Ego Efe, today was a pretty good day for him because West Virginia actually has a bunch of bigs. Uh, he played 17 minutes. He found a way to foul out. He did have two blocks. It felt like more because his blocks have been pretty demoralizing for everyone else. And he does a good job of keeping the blocks in play, which I think is a big deal. That's a little underrated. But I think going forward, I think that when I when Ewing has to take him out, when Wahab has to go out against some teams, I don't think Ego FA is ready to be someone that the other team has to deal with. I think it's more so of in today's, you know, basketball of some teams play, you know, five perimeter guys at once or, you know, at least at least four. I do think that when he gets in foul trouble, I'd, if I were Ewing, I would probably try and stay small until Ego FA gets his basketball legs under him. I think I think he's definitely an interesting player, he's an interesting prospect, but I don't think he's quite ready for the prime time. But today he had a pretty good game, and like I said, Huggins likes to play likes to play um, bigger than I think most other other uh, schools do. But yeah, it's kind of a boring answer to say the starting five is the best five. But I think until we see what Sibley and Clark are kind of made out of, um, we haven't seen Berger at all. We have we've barely seen Colin Holloway and uh, Dante Harris. I think there's something there, but I think Jalen Harris is definitely still better than him. Ben, let's keep these questions coming. Um, okay, um, so Blair again, mostly from the box score. You know, had a game that like reminiscent of what we see from him in the past. Can get hot from three. Um, he's the one guy who you probably feel pretty decent about scoring consistently. Uh, Pickett, it's such a weird like it, it just it just tease tease tease. It never quite it just seems like it never quite gets there. So it's three games in. 
if you had to guess right now, does the tease continue, or do you have you seen glimpses from him so far that you think to yourself we could be looking at a guy who is a however you want to define it, but like you know the the, the sort of the, the Jagan Mosley uptick he had as a senior, where you know a guy who was a solid player but you know really stepped up last year. Do you see that in Pickett's forecast based on what you've seen, or do you just see a guy who's going to like he's been most of his three years just you know, mostly to sort of tease with potential that doesn't that never really gets there. Yeah, I think he's going to end up just, I mean, he's going to end up being a thousand point score, which is a great milestone to hit. I do think that Jamarco Pickett's probably going to end up, and I haven't thought about who else is in this category, but probably like one of the more, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda guys, or, you know, a frustrating guy in that you see, glimpses but it just doesn't come together for instance today he actually had a pretty good game you know 11 points eight rebounds he was relatively efficient shooting the ball but he couldn't stay on the court during big stretches because he got he got in foul trouble so it's almost like there's always some little some little problem he did have four turnovers and that's a lot for not you know really having a lot of ball handling duties Um, I do think that as Jalen Harris and everyone kind of learns Jalen Harris more. I think that it's important that Pickett, and there was a time where I didn't want Pickett just to be a shooter, but Pickett probably isn't at the point yet. I mean, you know, he's a senior, so it's not like it's, you know, early, but he does struggle to go to the basket in traffic or, you know, when there's kind of people around. So you kind of do want him to just be a guy that defends, a guy that rebounds, and a guy that, you know, is just a shooter. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think he gets outside of himself a little bit. So tonight, four fouls, four turnovers. You know, if he's got less fouls, he probably has a better stat line. And I think that I think that he's going to go down as one of, like I said, he's going to have a thousand points in his career, which is an achievement. But I do think that he's going to be someone that fans you see it, you see some of him, and you just you just want the complete product. And you know, it might be after years in the G League or something like that where. It comes about, but it seems like we're getting kind of late here in his Georgetown career for it to happen. Um, since uh, Patrick Mahomes is currently on my TV and he is the number one Texas Tech fan out there, um, question is this: uh, Are you uh, at this point? I know you've gone kind of back and forth, and it's like as 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 one of the leading voices in the Georgetown basketball community. Are you suggesting that people? that they should keep an eye on what's going on with the ex-Hoyas floating around the country, including McClung in, with Texas Tech, or are you uh, turning a blind eye to the situation, just focusing here because, you know, why uh, torture yourself one way or the other? So because of, you know, COVID, right, we haven't we haven't been to Georgetown. You know, usually by the first game or maybe at media day, you pick up the new media guide. And I think that you know – I usually end up with two. I keep one in my bag. I keep one at home and I mark all through it, right? Like there's, you know, I'm always looking up stuff, trying to find trends, blah, blah, blah. Well, last night in looking at West Virginia stuff, I decided to tear the cover off of my media guide. Why, you might ask. I'm sort of tired of looking. It's actually particularly McClung. So on the cover of the media guide last year was year seven. Akinjo and McClung, as you might expect. You got the Big East uh, freshman of the year. You've got a five-star transfer ready to play. And McClung, who was all all uh, Big East freshman as well. I decided enough was enough. Um, the first couple of games, 
I was definitely tracking McClung and Akinjo, and I think it'll be easier to to ignore Akinjo just because McClung just has like this online presence, whether you like it or not. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it's something I'm going to track. I I do think that you know there's you know based on Twitter you, you know you see things all the time. I'm probably going to ignore McClung's lines until they start playing against you know the Big Twelve. Because I think we know what he can do against, you know, low major and mid-major competition for the most part. So I'll, I'll probably check back in with him. And I, I believe LeBlanc is not eligible until the second semester, which seems crazy because I feel like I could get a waiver to play. Like it just, you know, it, it, you know, it used to be like, you know, it was unusual to get a waiver and now it's unusual not to. So I think I'm probably just going to check back in with them when conference play starts. Got it. Okay. Um, all right, let me ask you, here, here's another question. Yeah. So, okay. There's three games in, right. Right. Is that, I, I, right. There's three. Yeah. I can, uh, what are they? One and two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, uh, that the, uh, it's such a weird year. I'm having trouble tracking. Even though I watched most of the first two games. All right. So here's the question. So this week they've got Coppin state next, right. Followed by Villanova and then Connecticut. Yeah. So here's the question. I'm going to guess you would say they beat Coppin State. I mean, Coppin State only lost to Duke by 10, but they've gotten smushed a bit since, including a loss to GW. So here's the question. Pick – if you think they beat Coppin State, when does their set, when does their third win of the season come? Well, I don't think it comes until we get the rest of their schedule because finishing out the year, they've got – Oh, I believe I believe we have a third member. I believe I believe Nolan has uh, checked in. Hi guys, how's it going? I don't I don't know if you're familiar with uh, my 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 good friend Ben Standing, but we are here with Ben. I am familiar with Ben. I don't know if we've been on together before, but familiar with the work. Don't hold don't hold that against me. Um, so I, I will let I, I'll, so, I'll let Bobby answer this question, and then I'll get out of the way so you guys can break down the game. Um, <laughs> So, so, so Ben, so they've got Coppin State next, and then it's Villanova, UConn, fingers crossed, St. John's, and Seton Hall. I don't see a win in there. So the only other game they have on the schedule is Syracuse. I don't really know what I don't know or know about the Orange just yet. So I don't think they have a win in them until after my birthday, which is Christmas, or I'm sorry, New Year's Eve, if anybody wants to send me something. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, that seems like a reasonable thought, uh, but you know, um, I, I haven't paying enough attention to the rest of the, uh, to the rest of the conference. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, it's hard to get overly excited about picking, uh, picking Georgetown, but yeah, that was, uh, that, that was what sort of crossed they, my mind. They weren't, I mean, obviously when you're picked 11th, there aren't a lot of places where you feel good about wins, right? Cause you're 11 out of 11, but I don't think they got, a favorable, you know, four game opening schedule from the league office, because, you know, if you saw like, you know, at Butler, which is a place you like to go or even Providence or DePaul, but there's not a lot of places to run and hide um, in the opening four game Big East uh, schedule that they got. Got it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I mean, I guess it's also one of those things where like, you know, if, somebody you know we talk about some of these guys like if 
you know, one of the freshmen was looking like, Ooh, we've seen some pretty interesting things already. Or, you know, one of the, the, the returning players had, you know, gone up a notch more than we had expected, et cetera. That, you know, maybe, you know, regardless of what, what they were picked preseason that you could sort of, you know, see a path to something impressive, but, and, and granted they were, you know, tight with a, a, a ranked team today for a while, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's the part that's hard to, you know, uh, seems hard to uh, figure out. Um, well, anyway, I'll let you, I, I can let you guys talk about the actual hey ben, games. Yes. Before you leave, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter and where your podcast is? Oh, sure. Uh, at Ben Standig on Twitter, the, the podcast is the Standig Room Only Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, all those places. Mostly, I guess at this point, the Washington football team, since that's who I cover for the athletic, but uh, certainly we'll be talking a lot about various basketball because, uh, you know, my history suggests that I give a crap. Uh, so, uh, yeah, check it out. And look, if you, if, you, if you don't ever listen, whatever, but just subscribe, that helps. But let me listen, but like, you know, just subscribe. <laughs> All right, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. All right, guys, see ya. So, Nolan. Nolan, what's up, man? Yeah, how's it going? Hey, sorry, we got a little bit of a late start here, but, um, so Ben kind of helped me out as we were having some uh, guest hosts, some uh, guest host um, issues, but we're back. You're on. Um, I went over a lot of the stuff. Ben didn't watch a whole lot of the game. I know that you did. What's kind of something that you liked and something that you didn't like just right off the top? Well, I think the best part is they were at least competitive, which I don't know about you, but coming in the game, that was not really much of a consideration. Right. Um, I think what was West Virginia uh, 10, 10 and a half point favorite? Yeah. So. By the way, by the way, that Blair three at the end was yeah, not meaningless yeah. to some people. <laughs> um, so you have to take that. I mean, I do think you were fortunate that first half. The two big guys both got two fouls. Yeah. And I thought overall that was not a team that looked like the 11th best team in the country. Um, But I think it was a game you probably should have won. I thought you should have created some separation uh, that first half. And, you know, it was the same mistakes we've kind of seen over and over. Um, Talking to Ben about something that, and I'll I'll see if, if you agree or disagree. I think right now, and we'll see how, you know, as, as they play more games, Jalen Harris seems like at times, I mean, he had that, you know, the great, you know, I didn't even know he could do what he did when he went to the hoop and just threw it down. But he had eight assists, four turnovers. It seems like a lot of his turnovers are based on him being too fast. So either he's, you know, he might slow down a little bit, or I thought a couple of turnovers were at least one was to Wahab and one was to Egoefe, where like he'll learn like how he can get the ball to some of his teammates, particularly the bigs. Yeah. He seems to me to be a kid who really has one speed. He wants to get out and run. And it was interesting post game that Ewing kind of said, if we're going to run, we need to be smarter about it. So I don't know if that means in the future, we're not going to be as quick. He is someone that is suited to run. But the turnovers, and what was it, the three seniors or was it the grad transfers? that I mean, they pretty much account for all the turnovers. Um, yeah, so ha- Harris had four, Carey had four, and Chudy had three. So that's 
that's 11 of the 15. It's, I think the guard play is reasonable. I think with the upperclassmen, it was, I think Bile was pretty bad. Um, I know a lot of people harped on the three grad transfers in total after the game, but I think he was really the weak link. Um, Harris, I mean, really the problem is he just can't shoot. So teams can play off of him. Um, He had that one terrible missed layup that was kind of a gimme, and he just missed it. Um, It was tough, yeah. I think point guard play, I think the two Harris's, Dante looks a little, I don't know if tentative, but it just feels like he needs to see one shot go in, and then he can kind of get acclimated. But I think point guard play, I mean, the West Virginia kid, I mean, he completely outplayed you that position. So that did not go their way today. Huggins talked about, you're talking about, obviously, Miles uh, McBride. Huggins was talking about him as he wasn't even a point guard coming in and he's definitely learning. Yeah. Um, I thought that, I thought that, you know, this is like, like you said, this was a game that you have to take advantage of Culver playing only three minutes in the first half or four minutes, whatever it was. He only played 18 minutes. He still almost got his double double, which is what he averages, but you have to make a better job of that. I did think that, um, one of the, you know, obviously Ego FA fouls out in only 17 minutes, but I thought he was a presence today. And basically because West Virginia also plays a bunch of bigs, Ben was asking me about, you know, who I thought was the best five currently and all that stuff. And I transitioned that into saying that I still think that when you're playing most teams, I think Ego FA playing that much is still kind of an issue. I think that like when you have to, when you have to sit Wahab and when Wahab gets in foul trouble, I think I'd probably, you know, lean towards going smaller. I don't know if if uh, today cha- changed your mind. West Virginia is interesting because they are going to play their bigs. Um, yeah. I mean, Ego FA, I think he held up reasonably well, probably as well as you could have expected. Um, the problem is whenever he's on the court this year, you're getting outscored. And there's really no way around it. Um, I mean, was, from what he, we he 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 did have the worst uh, plus minus. He was minus eleven, yeah. and it wasn't really a game. I mean, Malcolm Wilson. I mean, I thought he looked okay in his first appearance this year, but his frame, just the physicality of that game, was not a game probably suited for him. So you're kind of stuck if you're going to play big. It was going to be Ego FA. Yeah, and I wouldn't be opposed to going small. I don't know. Where do you go if you go small, though, I guess is my question. Um, I would have liked to see Kobe Clark get some minutes. He, I mean, obviously, he's only 6'5", but he can stick his nose in there and be a physical presence, uh, which it was surprising to me that he didn't even get a sniff today. Um, I guess just backtracking to the original thought, encouraging to me was that Wahab clearly showed he can play. I mean, those West Virginia big kids are probably as good as you're going to see, and I thought he was every bit their equal. So if you're looking for a positive, I mean, that's kind of been my theme the whole year is Wahab. And I think for the most part, I think he only got 23 minutes just because of foul trouble. But to me, he's still one of the bright spots. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, I think that we don't expect to see Sibley anytime soon. No. And what I think so obviously that that that's disappointing for the fan base. I would have to say your four star from Oak Hill, you know, 
for whatever reason isn't playing on in in a season where it's kind of all about looking towards next year and what you have to build off of. But I think we that we have seen Kobe Clark, and you know we saw him get ten rebounds in twelve minutes against UMBC. Uh, that was with Chudy not playing. Chudy came back against Navy, and I guess that kind of ate into Kobe Clark's minutes. And then you get to a point tonight where he doesn't play at all. I, you know, it's only three games into what we hope is at least a twenty-five game season. I think that those are probably that's probably the most disappointing thing right now if you're a Georgetown follower. And I think that that even goes towards the whole, you know, if Wahab gets, you know, foul trouble or he needs a break and you go smaller, those are kind of the candidates that you would look to when you go smaller. I mean, you know, there's situations where Pickett can be essentially your five, right? Just based on his height, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a stretch five, but without, and I guess maybe I'm just sort of discounting Chudy a little bit, but without, Clark and Sibley, I feel like you're just you're just losing a lot of possible lineups on the floor, and more importantly, um, the optimism that the fan base I think wants because the fan base is all about next year's recruiting class, and you know you're not really seeing a lot from the freshmen so far. Well, I think, and you know, with the fan base, it, it's almost like Ewing is coaching for his job this year, which which no one. Not no one thinks that that's even the case, unless maybe no. you're like some national guy that's not paying attention. Yeah, and I mean we've talked about this this year. Is I mean it's a free roll. These scholarships. I mean, the freshmen. You might as well throw them out there. Um, you know, you're playing three grad transfers. I know Kerry has an extra year if he wants it. Um, I guess yeah. all these guys do now, but you're still playing the grad transfers. You're playing Jamarco. You're playing Blair. Those guys are getting all your minutes. And in a year where you're probably not going anywhere, it's just, I don't know why you would shorten the rotation. Um, I guess the way that game went, I could see it today because you did have a chance to knock off um, the top 25 team. It'd be a nice little win uh, for Ewing to kind of point to, to for this thing to move forward. But, I mean, you he chose to fill all 13 scholarships, so what are we doing not using, you know, almost a handful of those guys? Yeah. Do you remember, I don't know if this was on message boards or it was just Twitter or where it was, but based on Clark and Sibley and knowing what, you know, Georgia had coming back, it, it seems crazy, but there was a time before the season started where some people were speculating like, you know, is Javon maybe better off the bench? And mm-hmm. I think that if you had an experienced team that was an NCAA caliber team, I could probably buy that, you know, even based off what he did last year because of the circumstances. If you told me that there was a, you know, the roster was different. I actually, I love Javon Blair off the bench. I loved him off the bench last year when they are at full strength. And I think in an ideal situation, that's the kind of player he is. And I, cause I think he can get 20 off the bench cause he's not shy about shooting it. Mm-hmm. But isn't it kind of crazy to think, and I don't disagree either, but, you know, last year he was averaging, you know, once all the guys left and McClung got hurt, he was averaging 37 minutes a game, had a bunch of 40-minute games. He's he's going to average 38 minutes a game, and I don't yeah. disagree because when he's off the court, <laughs> I don't know where the scoring is coming from because even his misses can be putbacks and different things. But is it kind of crazy when, you, you know, just to think like, man, 
you know, Mosley and Allen are gone and, you know, they, the guys they brought in, but like, he's still going to, they're going to need to, it, he basically can't really sit that much, right? No, I mean, he's your best option on offense, which just kind of hammers home the point that this team probably is going nowhere. Um, and that's no offense to him. I think he's turned into a solid college basketball player better than I thought he'd be. But, you know, on a good team, his ideal situation, he could be a third guard like he was last year next to Mosley and Allen. Yeah. Or just a sixth man, like you said, just bringing scoring punch off the bench to put him in a role now almost I mean it is out of necessity where he is your top option and a lot of the offense has to go through him it's yeah he, he can't come off the floor you know in the first two games he was four for 19 combined from three today he was five for 12 he's got to be based on the minutes he's getting and who Georgetown is right now he's got to be way closer to the five to 12 guy than the guy that you know went two for 11 one game and two mm-hmm. for eight. Like, this is what he has to give you. And I know he was even better. He started out the game four for six, so he ended one for six. And I'm sure that Huggins and the defensive scheme had something to do with that. I I kind of thought that Huggins immediately was going to say, look, they got one kid, but we're going to yeah. make sure he can't beat us. And early on, it was looking like Javon Blair might have a 30-point game. I was a little surprised by that, but I'm not surprised that West Virginia was able to figure it out down the stretch. But it does stand out to me. And like I said, I would not be giving his minutes to other, you know, I'm not advocating, you know, playing Berger just to play him for next year, but it is kind of crazy that we're at a point where he's 38 minutes a game and some people were advocating, well, if you, you know, if you start, you know, if you start Harris and Carey and you start Pickett and Sibley, you know I mean? Like there was those Mm -hmm. kind of conversations, you know, and that's, we couldn't be anywhere further from that right now. Um, Did tonight, you know, you, you know, Obviously, it was more competitive than everybody was very down after the Navy game. Did tonight kind of change your thoughts post-Navy, or was it sort of a little bit of fool's gold based on Culver not playing and, you know, kind of some different things happening? Because I definitely, coming into the season, I had them at 7 and 18, or maybe I mm-hmm. actually, I think it might have been 8 and 17, which obviously just looks really ugly. But then after Navy, it's like, wow, you know, might need to kind of adjust that down. But, you know, they hung tough with a West Virginia team that almost knocked off Gonzaga. Did tonight change anything for you? Not really. I yeah. just think once this team gets into Big East play, I mean, we've seen it in recent years where Big East teams, they know you in, inside and out. They key on your weaknesses. They're going to make you execute in the half court. Where tonight or this afternoon, it just felt like West Virginia off the Gonzaga loss that they were just trying to get through. And, you know, they turned it on the last handful of minutes for sure. It was interesting. I did catch Huggins uh, pregame on their radio and he just didn't sound overly impressed um, with what he was faced with today. I mean, they were asking him, Oh, does this team really like to get out of transition? He was like, yeah, but this isn't like playing Gonzaga. Um, It's not really our (laughs) focus to get back. And they're like, the other question was, well, Ewing comes from the NBA. Do you see a lot of NBA influence? He's like, yeah, a little bit, but it's not like they're Villanova playing um, one in, four out. So he just kind of, my impression was he wasn't overly concerned. And, I mean, once Culver was on the court in the second half, you, you kind of saw that. 
So one of the things I think that they can get better at is it seems to me like if if Wahab or Ego FA get the ball in the post, the ball's not coming out. And I, no. I do I do think that that is an area where you know, if teams start collapsing on particularly Wahab, I, I don't know how much we're going to see of Eagle FA during uh, the Big East part of the season. But I think one of the things that Wahab, who I think has been a really good player, I think that he needs to work, you know, as a team, like they need to figure out how to get shooters, you know, already looking at the rim and getting balls out of the post. It's. I think this team overall probably lacks passing. Um, I think Jalen Harris is a good passer, but I mean, Blair hunts for a shot. Jamarco hunts for a shot. The post guys. Um, and Chudy, once he gets it, you can forget about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he is, uh, he's going to get his shots up when he's out there. But that's what I mean. My concern, just half court offense, is once you get into Big East play, if you're trying to work inside out, I don't think, as much as I like Wahab right now, he's not ready to shoulder that responsibility um, like Jesse had or even last year when Omir was out there and playing. Um, And then you just don't have that same shot creation that you had with Mac. Um, And I think both Jagan and Terrell, just the way they went about it offensively last year, they really helped each other and helped everybody else. And just feels like that's lacking a little bit this year. Ben asked me this question. So I want to, I want to ask it to you as we were trying, he was basically helping a lot to fill in as someone that admittedly did not watch a lot of the game, which I actually wasn't going to tell everybody, but he, I guess wanted to put it out there quick in case he sounded like an idiot, um, which I don't think that he would have, but anyway, he he was asking me basically like, you know, do do you think do you think Pickett's ever going to get to it? Because you know we're kind of winding down on games here. He's got you know twenty two plus a Big East tournament, so you know twenty three games left. Do we think we're ever going to see him kind of put it together in a way that a lot of fans think the potential is there, um, or or not? And I I don't want to influence your answer by telling him by telling you what I said. I think you're pretty much getting what he is now. Um, yeah. The shooting obviously can fluctuate. I don't know what his numbers were today, but he was four for nine. So th- that's that's okay. one of the things I said not to cut you off, but it seemed like tonight he was on track to be pretty good, but then he gets in foul trouble. You, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He, I think offensively. I mean, you look at him, his frame, his athletic ability, but, I mean, the reality is, since freshman year, he's not going to really go create a shot on his own. His ball handling has always been uh, the weak link for him. Yeah, I think his shot has improved. Um, but, you know, when you can't put the ball on the floor and go make a play for yourself or for somebody else, you kind of – I mean, when you look at him, his offense possessions, when he can kind of jab step, create some space – um, or just play catch and shoot off of somebody else. That's really what you're trying to get from him. Um, but if people are looking at him making a big leap to just kind of take the reins and, and be the guy, it's uh, I'm not sure you're going to get it. Um, were you surprised that Jalen Harris could flush it down like that? No, I, I, 
I can see how he might end up being a polarizing player this year, but I think he's fine. Um, I mean, obviously he played a high level at Arkansas SEC. Like he has no problem playing at this level. It's just he can't really shoot. Um, but he's athletic. I think end to end, he's as quick as anybody they've had really recently. Um, it's just he's another guy where he would look better playing alongside more talent. Like we were saying, if Flair could be a six-man, well, if Jalen Harris had two or three main offensive options to feed and to look to, I think you would see a different point guard, somebody who could play in transition, create shots for other people, and not ever really have to look to score. Instead, it's a little different this year. Um but I think he's fine. I think all those guards, I think Carey, Blair, Harris, they're fine, but it's kind of a bottom of the Big East fine where not one of those guys is really going to stand out to elevate you. I still think Carey needs to find a way, that, or I'm sorry, Georgetown and yeah, Georgetown and Carey need to find a way to get him more attempts. You know, I used to always feel like Pickett didn't shoot enough. Uh, today he gets nine. Well, it's crazy. Chudy got 10 attempts up, but I think that's not going to be a problem with him at all. No. But, you know, carry three for six, 35 minutes. You know, Georgetown right now, so they scored 70 in the opener, 71 against Navy, 71 against West Virginia. Um, Ewing's path to success at Georgetown has been scoring 80 and above. You know, if this team is going to do that, they're going to need to steal buckets, which is, you know, Jalen Harris playing quick. But it's also going to be, you know, to get some of your better players taking shots. And that includes Donald Carey. And do you think that's more of him or do you think it's more of the offense? I mean, I I think for me, Donald Carey to play 35 minutes, go three for six. And then Chudy Bile plays 18 minutes and goes four for 10. I, I sort of need that to be reversed. Yeah. It's uh I mean he's a proven shooter. I know people might scoff at him playing in the Mac, but Sienna's a decent program. I, I think he's shown enough to where you can expect a little bit more out of him. I, I wouldn't mind him kind of taking on a bigger load just as more of a focal point offensively. Because he kinda can do a little bit of everything. He is a decent passer. He can put the ball on the floor and he can make shots. Um but yeah, if you could you would definitely want to swing some of those ten shot attempts that uh Judy took over to him. So Ewing was asked on Friday, and I, I, I don't think he heard the question correctly based on the way that he answered. He was asked about getting to the line, and his answer was about missing free throws. Georgetown was ten for fifteen which isn't the best percentage, but you can kind of live with that. The real problem is, so Georgetown took 15 free throws, which is a number that Mac can kind of get by himself sometimes, you know? Yeah. West Virginia was 22 for 33. And that's a, that, that's a big difference when the teams have, you know, they, both Georgetown and West Virginia had 43 rebounds. So it wasn't like they got crushed on the glass. Um, offensive rebounds were about equal. It's just, do you think that there is – so I'm, I'm basically going to ask you the question that, that Ewing was asked. I don't think that there is. Do you think that there is a way to fix that? Because I don't really see – I mean, Javon Blair kind of gets the lane and you know, throws up some teardrops here and there. 
I don't see where they're going to be a team that shoots a lot of free throws. Is that something that you think is fixable during the season? I, I would probably agree with you. I don't know where exactly that source of offense is going to come from. Um, yeah. You know, it kind of goes back to the same thing where Harris, Jalen is not a scorer. Jamarco can't really put the ball on the floor. Yep. Blair, I mean, he kind of, I don't know. When, once he gets in around the trees inside, he it usually doesn't go very well for him. He usually ends up just flinging something at the backboard. Um, he has gotten better, just kind of his control, um, kind of just probing in there, kind of in the mid-range area. But he just shoots more floaters than anything, which isn't going to draw you any contact. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where that offense is going to come from. I think the main thing for them to try to steal points is just push it as much as possible. Yeah, I, I agree. think you let Jalen Harris go and, you know, have Kerry and Blair flank him as shooters and see what you can get in transition. Because you're going to have to find those points, especially in Big East play. I mean, teams are really going to zero in. I mean, you open it. It's home. Is it away Villanova first or home? No, it's here. Okay, so both home Villanova and UConn to start. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be tough. Just finding points those two games. Um, and at least UConn, they might be willing to run with you. Villanova is just going to try to make that half-court game. And you're going to have to execute. And that's really going to be a challenge for this team if they're stuck just playing half-court. Yeah, I don't I don't think half court is a place that they're going to they're going to thrive. So Georgetown, you know, is opening up with their first six games at home. We hope, like I said, we hope because Connecticut apparently is pausing their activities, which could obviously affect their game next Sunday with the Hoyas at McDonough. Coppin State on Tuesday, quick turnaround, is their fourth out of their five scheduled non-conference games they have Syracuse in January Coppin State you know Juan Dixon and Kevin Braswell is on the staff now I I always forget when everyone's Georgetown you know fandom started when you started following the Hoyas but I was in college at JMU I think it was Eshrick's second season I think he his second full season where they lost out out in Anaheim to Maryland in the Sweet 16 and at that point, you know, I actually didn't know that Juan Dixon and Kevin Braswell were were so tight. Um, I think they had maybe even like lived with each other when they were teenagers at some point, I want to say, but I could definitely be wrong. Um, Kevin Braswell on the staff. Do you think you do you, do you think Kevin Braswell could ever be a potential Georgetown assistant? I feel like there was a lot of buzz about him over the summer. I actually wasn't able to listen to him on Dog Talk, and I'm sure I could go back and listen to it. How intriguing do you think Kevin Braswell is? I actually, you just broke that news to me. I didn't realize he became an assistant at Coppin. Um, yeah, I remember I listened to the Dog Talk in the summer, and uh, he's kind of self-promoting for a job somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. So good for him for getting that. Um, he does seem like somebody who is really invested in making this a career. He seems like a good salesman um, just from his appearance on that podcast. He's one of those guys you just wonder, you know, and maybe decision-making is a little different now, but the Thompson kind of influence there that he was kind of in the transitional period, I guess, if you want to say, where maybe 
I don't know how those guys are viewed in and around the program, you know, the early 2000s, um, if they've been as receptive to those guys around the program. Um, but he is somebody, I mean, clearly he has strong ties to the area, D.C., Baltimore. Um, when he was on that podcast, he was like, I have two kids right now, top 100, that yeah. I, could get, I could get them to Georgetown. Yeah. Um, so obviously local recruiting is something that still needs to be worked at. Um, watching a kid, I don't know if you saw the other night, Marquette, Justin Lewis, a Baltimore kid. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He looked pretty good. And just, you know, you can live when you lose some of the D.C. Baltimore kids to the ACC that want to go to, you know, some of the more – not, not even a Duke or North Carolina, but wherever, ACC. But when you lose them in the same conference and they decide to go to Milwaukee, those uh, those ones sting, at least for me. So They do. I think anybody who's – I mean, we've talked about this. It's nice to have guys who have played for the program come back and be a part of it on the coaching staff. Uh, and particularly, I mean, he carved out a nice career, then turned into a coach. I think success might have been mixed on that front as a head coach. Um, but now he's got something going in the NCAA, and if he can continue to work at it, I certainly somebody I'd be receptive to because I think that's something that's hurt Ewing. It's, I mean, we've talked about that a bunch, just as coaching staff. Um, so, yeah, he, he'd be a guy I'd have circled for sure. Yeah, I think, I think absolutely he is someone – and, you know, like I said, it's – Coppin State's coming to McDonough's, so I think it's very it's very topical. Um, you never know what's going to happen, but I do think that him getting involved. I know he was in New Zealand forever as a player and as a coach, right? Yeah, he might have even been a player coach, like at one point, one season. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think him getting involved. Um, you know, Juan Dixon, like I said, those guys are friends and. I think that he's someone, you know, to look to because, you know, at some point, at some point, this is going to become an issue of, you know, how do you sort of get better? How do you rearrange what's going on? Um, And in no way do I think, like you said, um, Ewing is kind of coaching like this year matters. And I, I don't think that that is true. Um, so I think that Kevin Braswell is definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Um, were you thrown off at all by the fact that West Virginia was wearing gray? Cause I was, I watched the whole game and it still bothered me. No, the first possession, I mean, it messed up the announcers and I was messed up with them. I thought once they tipped off, I didn't know who had the ball. Um, cause the new Georgetown uniforms looked like they should be on West Virginia, that Navy yeah. blue, um, <laughs> which I hate those new uniforms too. I know some people like them, but I, I was not a fan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I was, I guess I will say I was, I was pleasantly surprised by what happened today, but I do think that. Georgetown missed a chance to probably get West Virginia on a night where they were they were ripe for the picking. Um, and it's you know even if you watch that game, you could tell West Virginia didn't have their best stuff. But just from a national perception, just to kind of get the monkey off your back a little, like hey, 
Georgetown did knock off West Virginia. Um, you might get a John Rothstein tweet or a Goodman tweet. Just any positive for this program right now would have been a plus, and you just kind of missed your shot. Yeah, and I think it would have been a good thing for Navy as well, right? Because then it's like, well, hey, look, because everyone's, you know, kind of just, you know, assuming Navy's terrible, mm-hmm. which they're generally a middle-of-the-pack Patriot League team, which, you know, that kind of team isn't even usually in line for the NIT. So, yeah, I think it would have been it would have been a big deal to pull that off. And, you know, you get that, you know, you get the highlight on Sports Center. Speaking mm-hmm. of that... Now that Scott Van Pelt, you know, does Sports Center from home or not from home, but you know, from the DC area, I think people that listen and you're still listening right now, you know that in college football, I do follow uh, a non a non Georgetown team. So I was I was watching Sports Center the other night just to see Brian Kelly speak, and I was pretty surprised that they Scott Van Pelt decided to go with Navy Georgetown highlights. Like nothing particularly interesting happened in the game other than yeah. Georgetown losing, but it wasn't like Georgetown was like, you know, number 12 and they lost to Navy. Maybe I'm just being too sensitive. I thought that was a little bit of piling on. Yeah, I could see him doing that, him being a Terp guy. Just, <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. I didn't realize he, yeah, I did not expect that game to make Sports Center, so that's news to me, but and- I could see him piling on a bit there. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, I don't watch a lot of Sports Center because it's turned into like you know stand-up comedy and blah blah blah. Um, there's enough ways to look at highlights and get game scores. You don't need to, you know, when I was a kid, Sports Center was a big deal because that's basically all you had. Now it's you know I would have never watched except I was DVRing it just to see um, Kelly's uh, see if he would turn purple during his interview, but um. Yeah, I I thought that that was a little bit of piling on, but that could definitely just be me being being overly sensitive. Uh, I think next time we talk, if it's after Coppin State, I think that uh, I think it'll be a good I think it'll be a good conversation. But I do think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but just going forward, I think this has basically become a season of like, what do you get out of Dante Harris, Kobe Clark? Mm-hmm and Jamari Sibley. Am I, you know, and, and the idea of Pickett and Blair going over a thousand points and ending their career as well. But it, hasn't the season basically come down to that? Yeah, I, I would still throw a hop in there. It's, I think it's whatever you can do just to lay the foundation. It's, yeah. And it's tough to say that when we're years into this now, but you need, I mean, I said this on Twitter after, like you looked at my, Pride from West Virginia. He gets the bloody tooth, and you just tell that kid is their tone setter. He's the culture of what Huggins wants, and Ewing's got to find that. Whether it's one of the young guys or somebody, one of the upperclassmen takes that on. I mean, you got that last year, I think, with Jagan and Terrell. Yeah, you need to find it again because it's got to get passed down to the freshman class, and we're all banking in banking on the next class that's coming in to kind of get this ship righted. So I think just finding an identity of, because right now, I don't know about you, but it just seems like they do the same stuff now for three years and it always comes up short and you play hard, but not hard enough. You make, I don't know, offensively you're okay. doesn't get you over the top and defensively it's not there. So 
it's my wish list would be play in transition as much as you can, play better defense, and like you said, let the freshmen get out there and see what you have with them. Yeah, well, like I said, thanks for coming on, and hopefully um, if you're back on in two days, quick turnaround. Actually, tomorrow I'm going to speak with DSR. I'm not sure when I'm going to post that since the cop Did the album are- come out? It's so it's not, actually not an album. I, I thought it was an album. It's just a single. It's called No Names. Okay. But I'll um, check it out. Yeah, I tweeted about it the other day. Uh, originally, it was on iTunes or Apple Music, um, but I think a day or two later, it came out on Spotify. So depending what your what your mode is, but I'm going to have a talk with him on Monday. I might is- hold that until later in the week, just because. This will be out later tonight or Monday morning, and then there will be a Coppin State post-game um, talk, which will hopefully be hopefully be a positive one and a cheery one. Before we go, it looks like DePaul has canceled tonight's game with Iowa State. I don't know if that's DePaul or if that's Iowa State. That's another one of those biggies, Big 12 battles or challenges, yeah. whatever it's called. For their sake, hopefully it was Iowa State because they've already had their run-in with COVID. Yeah, I know earlier in the week, St. John's decided they weren't going to go to Lubbock, which, I mean, Lubbock, I think, is having fans at games, which kind of just blows my mind. Yeah, that uh, when they played Houston, that was, and I don't even, was that a true home game? But that environment was uh, pretty wild there. Yeah, so I don't think you can fault St. John's deciding that they're not going to go out there. It seems like a a bad idea, a bad time to to visit Lubbock. I'm not sure if there's ever a good time to visit Lubbock, <laughs> but uh, that's just, right now is probably probably not the time. Um, again, people can follow you at Nationwide Nolan. Is it? Yeah, Na- Nationwide Nolan. Um, and we'll be back in a couple days. All right, Appreciate sounds it. good. Boy, Saxa. <laughs> Thank you.